You're listening to Weekly Devotions with Pastor James, a podcast devoted to helping you with your walk with Jesus. We do this by looking at the scriptures through devotions and messages every week. For more information, you can find us at gardeningthewell.com and would love for you to connect with us over there. Uh, You can visit our blog, you can visit our bookstore, and you can connect with us and shoot us some feedback. Send us questions, maybe something you'd like to hear an episode on. And with that said, uh, let's jump into it today. In Exodus chapter 6, we're going to read that through as we go this morning, uh, but a quick word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for your word and what we're able to glean from your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just meet us where we are this morning. I pray that you'd work in our lives and pray that you would draw us to you, Lord. Lord, shape us. Lord, I pray that you would transform us more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. We give this to you, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen, uh, amen. Well, we're going to get right into it this morning. So I'm going to ask you a question. What kind of encouragement do you look for or need in your life? Because it's going to be different for all of you. And so I'll give you about five seconds to think about that. What kind of encouragement do you look for or need in your life? For some people, if you give them a gift, it is a huge encouragement. Giving them a gift, it just lifts their spirits. Other people, like myself, it's words of affirmation, like thank you, or thank you for doing that, uh, good job, those types of things. Those are the things that fill my sail and encourage me greatly. But when it comes to encouragement, we all need different encouragement, but sometimes encouragement comes in a way that we don't expect. Have you ever been there? You've been in encouraged in a way you didn't expect. I'll give you an example. The second sermon that I ever wrote came from the book of Ephesians, right? Uh, It is a sermon that is on peace. And I wrote that because I was filling in for a pastor. Uh, The church was about a block away from my home uh, that I grew up from, a church that I actually went to vacation Bible school once or twice to as a child. But I was filling in for the pastor because he was on vacation. And so I put together a sermon from the book of Ephesians, and it was all about peace. And so I got up and I preached for maybe... 20 minutes, all right? No, today's sermon is not 20 minutes, maybe three sets of 20 minutes, but not just 20 minutes, right? And so I preached this sermon, and remember, this is only the second sermon I've ever preached, right? And it's probably the third time that I've ever preached in my entire life. And so I preached, and I preached on peace, and I could still tell you what I was wearing and everything along those lines. And then I went to the back of the church after service to greet everybody while they're leaving, because for some reason, that's what pastors do, and nobody ever told me why we do it. And so I'm in the back of the church greeting the people as they're leaving, and an elderly woman came up to me, and she said this to me. She goes, the only thing I liked today was your tie. And the only reason I liked your tie is because I like animals, because there is a lion and a lamb on my tie. She goes, that's the only thing I liked about today. She shook my hand, and she left. And I'm like, all right, this is fantastic. Uh, and you're like, Pastor, I thought this was supposed to be about encouragement, not discouragement. Well, that was discouragement, as you can tell. It stayed with me. Um, but after I got over the initial, I'm never doing this ever again uh, thing, those words of that lady forced me to work harder on my sermons for the next time. If there was a next time, because at that point, I had, I had no idea if I was ever going to do this again. Encouragement, while needed in our life, doesn't always come the way that we want or expect. 
But God does encourage you the way that you need to be encouraged. Get that. God's not always going to encourage you the way you want to be encouraged. He's going to encourage you the way that you need to be encouraged. The question then becomes, will you receive his encouragement and walk in it? And this morning, we turn back to the discouragement that Moses is in and see just how the Lord meets him and lets Moses know this one thing. Because this is the overarching thing that this morning. God tells Moses, and he tells us, he goes, Moses, I want to transform you, not to cater to you. And I want you to be thinking about that. That God wants to transform you, not cater to you, because that's what God's telling to Moses and the nation of Israel to get them back on track. And he wants you to know that this morning as well. And so we're going to see start this morning with this, encouragement to Moses. And we're going to be reading this as we get through. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 6. But before we get there, we got to pick up where we left off last week. Because if you were with us last week, Chapter 5 ends in the middle of a conversation between Moses and God. Moses is praying, and then, like, you ever watch a movie or a show, and then it says, to be continued, and like, what happened next? That's where we left off last week. And so what we saw last week is this. Moses gets back to Egypt. Him and his brother go before Pharaoh, and, and Moses goes, I gave you the chance last week. What does Moses say to Pharaoh? Let my... There you go. All right. He goes, comes before Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh goes, nah. Absolutely not. Not happening. Oh, and by the way, I'm going to make everything harder for you because now we're not going to give you the straw that you need to make the bricks, but you have to make the same number of bricks, but now your work is doubled, but you have to still meet the same quota. And so that didn't go over well with the nation of Israel. And so the Israelites sent their foreman, the Pharaoh, and they appeal before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's like, I don't care what you say, this is how it is. And so the foremen leave meeting Pharaoh, and they go out and they find Moses. They're looking for him. And they laid into Moses. They're yelling at him, bashing him, telling Moses everything is his fault. And at that, Moses goes, what am I going to do? And so he actually goes to the Lord and he goes in prayer. And he literally comes before God and he goes, God, what's the problem? What, what's going on? Why are you not rescuing us? Why are you not delivering us like you said? See, Moses is in a boat that we all have been in. The struggles, the difficulties, the hardships. He's discouraged. He's depressed. You have to have some worry and anxiety thrown in there too. And that's where we left off with Moses. He's in the middle of praying before the Lord, or with the Lord, and he's just confused. And he's worn out. I can relate to that. I know that you can. And so the question is, how does God respond to Moses in his prayer? Does God yell at him? Does he knock him down a couple rungs of the ladder, if you would? Does God lay into Moses for his lack of faith or anything like that? And the answer is no. God doesn't do any of that. What God actually does is starts to encourage Moses because that's what God does. And so we read this in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he'll let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he'll drive them out of his country. God comes back to Moses and, and tells Moses, Moses, now you're going to see what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. You ever see a show where a guy kind of goes like this, tilts his head to the side and goes, eh, now it's time for me to show up and do something. Kind of what God does here. Because Moses, now I'm going to do something. 
And Moses is probably going, well, why couldn't you do something the other day when I was in front of Pharaoh? And God's response is simply this, because Moses, I'm setting the stage for everybody to know that I'm the one that gets the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Because if you just went before Pharaoh, said three or four words, and Pharaoh let me go, then everybody would think that you're the one that delivered the nation, that you yourself got the nation out of Israel. But I can't have that. See, I have set the stage to show everybody that I, the Lord, am the one that is going to get the nation of Israel out of Egypt. So the stage is being set for God to get the glory because God wants the nation of Israel to see Him, to see Him and what He is doing. And so the Lord goes, Moses, my mighty hand is going to get Pharaoh to let you go. Because of my mighty hand, the Pharaoh is going to drive you out of the country. Many years ago, there was a bird in here, okay? Just flying around, not on a Sunday morning. I wouldn't tell you if there was on a Sunday morning, all right? Uh, but it was flying around in here. And so how do you think I got the bird out? Well, actually, it wasn't just me. It was me and Glenn. Uh, do you think I just left the windows open and said, ah, just do what you want? Nope. Glenn and I are over here for at least an hour and a half, and we actually hit this bird out of a window, right? We actually hit it with like a nine-foot duster, right? And it just had to go right out the window, right? We drove that thing out of the window. Have you ever driven a pet out of your house? Maybe you've driven people out of your house. I don't know. But you're like pushing somebody to go somewhere, out of somewhere. God goes, Moses, that's what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. He's not just going to go, okay, you can leave. He's literally going to drive you out. And if you know the story, they actually leave with money and gold and silver. God goes, Moses, this is what I am going to do. God goes, Moses, nothing has worked because I'm setting the stage for you all to see me work as God. Tell me that shouldn't lift your spirits when God goes, yep, now I'm up the bat. I'm, I'm going to do the work. It should You see, at times, you and I, we don't see God working in or through our lives because we're too busy trying to do it all. Did you realize that? You may not be seeing God work in your life because you're trying to do everything. Because you're trying to take care of everything. And you're standing back on God, why aren't you doing anything? And God's going, I would if if you would get out of the way. Because that's what Moses was trying to do. God, I'm trying to do all of this. And God's going, the only thing you're not allowing is for me to work. If you want to see God work, allow him to work. Step to the side and give the stage to Jesus for him to do the things that he does. And so God is encouraging Moses, going, Moses, I know where you're at, but I'm going to work now. But then he continues to say this. Verse 2, another part of encouragement. He goes, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. And you think, well, where's the encouragement in that? Well, there is encouragement in only four words there. A few weeks back, at the burning bush, God goes to Moses, I am who I am. Remember that? All right, we got a little head nodding. All right, remember, we're already late, so don't make the sermon any longer. Do you remember the burning bush? All right, good. There you go. There you go. I have to turn the air conditioning on or something, right? What did God tell Moses in that? I am who I am. And I told you that is the name of God. I am the ever and all becoming one, the self-existent one, the eternal one. I am all that you need for anything, Moses. I am. Moses has forgotten that. He's forgotten who God is already. 
just like you and I do. You see, we try to find what we think we need in so much stuff and so many activities. And God goes, no, I am. What do you mean I am? Well, whatever you need. God goes, I am. And Moses is just flying off the handle because everything is not working out. And God goes, Moses, I am. And that's the encouragement that you and I need in our lives because when everything is flying all over the place and you don't know which way you're up. Remember, I I told you the other week ago, following Jesus is like being in a hurricane and getting hit by a flying cow. Like you never know what is going to take place. And our lives are like that. And the encouragement in all of that is God going, I am. Whatever you need, I am. And Moses has forgotten that. See, you lose to discouragement Because you forget who God is. And that's what God is doing to Moses here. Moses, yes, everything seems to be going down the toilet, but you know what? I'm still God. I am. And that is encouragement. It's his encouragement to you this morning. God's not always going to make your troubles go away. I know in America in 2023... You go to church and you want to hear the pastor tell you that God is going to make everything perfect and going to be like a nice warm bowl of ice cream and everything's going to be great. You'll never hear that from me unless I lose my mind. And at that point, Tom will fire me. God's not always going to make your troubles go away. But you know what he will do in those troubles? He'll remind you that All you need is Him. And that's encouragement. So my question is, do you know God? Because here's what God often does in our trials and our hardships that bring the range of emotions. And it's verse 3. God goes, I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And this is what God does. And you need to stay with me here for, for a couple moments. God comes before Moses and goes, Moses... Your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I appeared before them as God Almighty. That name is El Shaddai. He goes, but to you, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And so God goes, I didn't let them know my name I am. I didn't let them know me as Yahweh. And you go, well, what's the deal with all this? Why does this all, all matter? Here's why this matters. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they knew the name Yahweh. But they knew God as El Shaddai, God Almighty. You see, when it comes to a name of God, God doesn't just give us different names for us to have different names to call Him. Every name of God tells us something about God. It reveals God to us. It shows to us, teaches us His nature and His characteristics, His attributes. And so what God says to to Moses is, Moses, Abraham and his family back in Genesis, they only knew me as El Shaddai, God Almighty. They knew of my power and my strength. They didn't know me as I am. They didn't know me as the ever-present one. They didn't know me as the self-existent one. They didn't know me as the ever-becoming one, that I am all that you need. They didn't know me in that, that way. 
But you know what, Moses, what I'm going to do with you, what I'm going to do with the nation of Israel, is I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do something that I haven't done before. I'm going to reveal another aspect of who I am. I'm going to show you another trait, another characteristic of who I am. I'm going to just reveal myself more to you and to the nation of Israel. And how does God do that? Through the trials and through the hardships. He goes, Moses, I'm meeting you where you are. I'm meeting the nation where you are. And in that, I'm going to show you more about me. I'm going to reveal more about myself to you so that you can have a deeper walk with me. So you can have a deeper relationship with me. Moses, I'm going to show you me. You need to realize this. For you to learn more of who God is and what God is like, it means that you're going to have to walk through something that you don't like. It means you're going to have to walk through something that you don't understand. It means you're going to have to walk through something that is very painful and very difficult. Because it is in those difficulties and it's in those trials, God goes, now I can show you another aspect of who I am. I can go from El Shaddai to Yahweh because of the trials. Because it's in the trials that you're going to learn about me. And it's in the trials you're going to know me. And then God goes in verses 4 to 5, He goes to Moses, He goes, Moses, it's time. He says this, He goes, I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving. He goes, and I have remembered my covenant. And you go, God remembered? Did that God, does that mean God forgot? When it says there that God remembered, it doesn't mean God forgot. It means that God goes, the time is ready for me to do something. You all know that I like to do stuff on the smoker in my yard, right? So if I put a, a, a pork shoulder on the smoker, right, I can't take it off after three hours. You know why? It's not ready yet. It still needs another five hours. So at eight hours, I go, ah, now it's time for me to do something. And that's what God means here when he says it's remembered. He, he goes, now it's time for me to move. Now it's time for me to act. And so he goes, Moses, we're going we're to do this. And so Moses comes to the Lord, just a mess. And the Lord goes, Moses, this is who I am. I am. And Moses, I'm going to do things that you've never seen before. I'm going to do things that the nation of Israel has never seen before. That you and the world are going to see an aspect of me that, is, that nobody has ever seen before. I'm going to reveal myself to you. And now it's time to act. Don't you think that should get you excited? Get you encouraged? Where God goes, I'm going to show more of myself to you. And I'm going to move. And I'm going to act. And, and everything is going to be good. And God goes to Moses. And Moses, because of this, there's something I need you to do. I want you to go and tell the Israelites something. And what he tells them is this. It's the truth of the matter. It's verses 6 through 9. And so I'm going to read these verses for you. Don't worry. Some of you are a bit worried because you see that there's 27 verses in chapter 6. Or actually 30 verses in chapter 6. And we're doing the whole chapter. And you're going like this. We're not doing verses 10 through the rest of the chapter. Because it's mainly a genealogy. Okay? 
But I'm going to read to you verses 6 through 9. Therefore, God says to Moses, Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Here's the bottom line. Last week, we looked at some of the reasons why struggles and hardships come into our lives. We looked at and we talked about why we struggle within those difficulties. And it's here in these verses that I just read to you that God gives the nation of Israel and you and I the bottom line. And it's both an encouragement and a reason as to why things come up in your life the way that they do. And it's this. God is not just trying to teach you, but transform you. You have to understand that. God is not just trying to teach you. He's trying to transform you. And this is what God says to the nation of Israel in these verses I just read to you. He goes, I am transforming you. I'm not just freeing you from Egypt. I am transforming you. I'm going to get you out of Egypt. But I'm also going to get Egypt out of you. That's what God is telling the nation of Israel. You see, I've been a pastor for 16 and a half years, a very short time. But in those years, in talking to people in church and outside of church, people want God to be a genie. We want God to be a genie. We want God to do this or that for us. God, bless me here. God, watch over that person there. God, do this for me. Do that for that person. And we're asking God to do all of these things, but yet we still want him to allow us to live our lives the way that we want to live them. God, I'm still going to sin against you all the time, but how about you do this? God, I'm going to ignore your word. I'm not going to read your scripture. I'm not going to pray. I'm going to do whatever I want to do, but I still want you to bless me and see me through everything. That's how we want God to be in our lives. That's what the nation of Israel wanted. God, just deliver us from Egypt so that we can go on our merry way. And we're the same way. God, bless us. Let me get into heaven and then says, let me do whatever I want to do every, every day of the week. And you know what God says? No. He goes, no. The truth of the matter is this. God wants to transform you, not cater to you. That's what he's doing with the nation of Israel. I want you to see what he says to the nation of Israel. I'm going to put it up on the screen. You with me? All right. See, you're learning. That's good, right? What is one of the keys that I always tell you to Bible study? Find that which repeats. Let's read this. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, 
And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Seven times God goes, I will. What is the statement, I will? It's a promise, is it not? When you go to somebody, I will do this, I will do that, what are you doing? You're literally making a promise, and God goes, I will do this. God is making a promise to the nation of Israel that he's going to do all of these things. Now, I need my nerd friends. I know you're out there, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because nerds usually don't like to go, hey, I'm a nerd, right? I am a nerd too, this is why I'm bringing it up, so don't send me an email, okay? Do you know what the verb tenses are in these verses? Jess 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 is like, I do. You probably don't because they're originally written in Hebrew. In the Hebrew language, the verb tenses are past tense. They're past tense. So God is going, I will do this, but he's saying it as though it's already done. He goes, it's already done. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. We just have to pick up the car. It, it's done. And so God is talking about a future event with them as though it's already done and accomplished. He goes, it's over. It, it's going to happen. It's already done. We just have to work through it. And God's really encouraging Moses and he's really encouraging the nation of Israel because notice what God says to him. He goes, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. He goes, God, God goes, I'm going to bring you out. He goes, I'm going, literally going to bring you out from that slavery. He goes, but I'm not just going to bring you out for a week or three days or anything along those lines. He goes, I will free you from bondage. He goes, I'm going to cut the cord. You're going to tether all ties with the nation of Egypt. He goes, they're gone. You're going to be free. Not just brought out, but free. And then he goes on, he goes, I will redeem you. And the word redeem means to purchase a slave to set free. That's what it means. God goes, I'm going to redeem you and set you free. And then God goes, I will take you as my own. God goes, you're going to be my, my people You are my people, and you're going to be my people, and you're going to know that I am your God. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, and I'm going to bring you into the land that I promised your forefathers. I'm going to bring you into the promised land, and I'm going to give it to you as as an inheritance, as a possession. God goes and tells all of them, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not just freeing you. I'm going to transform the whole nation. I'm going to transform all of you. Now you hear that and hopefully, prayerfully, that that, would go, that, that should encourage you. That if I was Moses and I was in the nation of Israel and I heard God say that, then man, I would be packing up my bags and I don't care what happens tomorrow because I know I'm going to be getting out of here. Does that happen with the nation of Israel? No. Verse 9. Moses reported this all to the Israelites, but they didn't listen to him. Why? Because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. 
They didn't care. Because they were so broken and so discouraged that they did not listen to the Lord. Have you ever been there? I have. I sat through a two-day men's conference and ignored absolutely every single thing that was said. You want to know why? Because I was so broken and so discouraged from life, I didn't really care what God had to say to me. You've been there. You might be there this morning. That because of your brokenness, because of your discouragement, you don't listen to God. You don't care what He says. You'll go through the motions, but in, you don't really care. And I'm not guilting you. I've been there. I have. That we don't really want to hear what God has to say. That life has just run you over. The Mack truck has backed up, run over you again, and maybe it's on the 15th passing. And you say, I'm done. I'm done. That in your discouragement and your brokenness, God seems so small. That in your brokenness and your discouragement, God seems so far away. That in your brokenness and your discouragement, you think, God only works for those other people. He doesn't work for me. I don't mean work for as an employee, but to do something. That maybe just, maybe, you're sitting there going, I don't understand what God is doing. I don't understand what God has done. You don't understand any of it. And the, the pain and the hurt is so real. That if you're honest, you might just go, I don't want anything to do with God. I've been there. I've told God that. Or I've literally said, God, I don't want anything to do with you. I've said that to Him. As you can see, He wasn't done with me. But in those moments, the pain and the confusion and the hurt and the discouragement is all so real that we may not want to do anything with God like the nation of Israel. They don't want anything to do with God because of their pain. Friends, as hard as, hard as it is in that season of life, you need to see what God is doing. He's not going to cater to you even in those seasons of your life. He's not just going to serve you and make everything to be a bed of roses. He's not going to do that. But you know what God is going to do? He is going to transform you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's His ultimate plan. That's His aim for your life, to make you more like Jesus. And do you know what? If God catered to you, then you would never grow in Jesus. Did you know that? If God gave you everything you wanted, the way you wanted it, when you wanted it, your relationship with Jesus would never grow. You would never come to know God as healer, as provider, as peace, as counselor, as God Almighty. You would never come to know Him as I am. You would never, ever come to know God like that if all He did was like, oh, cheeseburger, here you go. Pay raise, here you go. You would never... God wants to and is going to transform you.
And the greatest transformations in life happen from the hardest trials in life. And I know we don't like to hear that, but it's true. The greatest transformations happen from the hardest trials. One of my earliest sermon illustrations the Lord ever laid on my heart, He brought back this week, which is funny because I haven't thought about it in about 18 years. I don't know if you've ever done woodworking. You ever do woodworking, wood carving, right? I mean with a knife and a stick, all right? Like I have, when I was in in the Boy Scouts, I used to do uh, a lot of it. Not a lot of it, but there's not much else to do when you're camping. Real camping with tents, just so you all know, those of you that were campers, right? When you're carving, right, what what you do is in the wood, you get to something, it's called a knot. Any of you know what a knot in in the wood is, right? All the wood is going in different directions. And when you're carving something, you come to a knot, guess what? You have to get the knot out of the wood so you can make what you need to make. But here's the problem. No matter how sharp the blade is, that knot, incredibly difficult to get out at times. And what you have to do is you really have to dig into that wood. You really have to work hard of getting that knot out of the wood so that you can continue to transform that piece of wood into the finished product. That's you and my lives. Our lives are the same way. God wants to transform you, and at times the rough edges and the things like that will just fall off like dried clay. But at times, God has to take the knife and dig into your life and get that knot out of there so that He can go on transforming your life. Do you see where God says to the nation of Israel, I will be your God and you'll be my people? Do you know that that statement is huge? And here's why. Do you know why God had to put them through all these hardships and struggles before He brought them out? He had to do it because He had to transform them. He had to dig down deep into their hearts, into their lives. And you want to know why? Ezekiel chapter 20, you could read verses 5 through 9, but I just pulled out verse 7 for us this morning. God is saying this, And he goes, I want you to call out the the nation of Israel for their forefathers. He goes, I, that's the Lord, said to them, that's the nation of Israel, each of you get rid of the vile images you have set your eyes on and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. You see, in context here, God is telling the nation of Israel during this time to Ezekiel, he goes, this is what was going on when the nation was in Egypt. So what was going on in Egypt? We'll read that verse. They set their eyes on the things of Egypt. They didn't worship God of the Bible. The Jewish people in Egypt worshipped the gods of Egypt. Do you get that? And God goes, the reason I had to put them through so much was because I had to dig down deep into their hearts and into their lives to get them to stop worshiping the gods of Egypt and to see me as the one true God so that they would worship me, believe me, trust me, follow me instead of following those false gods. And he goes, I had to transform them. I had to get this idolatry out of them. And do you think that was a hard thing to do? Absolutely. Absolutely. See, there's no easy, there's not an easy task. A sermon is not going to root somebody's false God out of their lives. 
It only happens through trials and hardships as we learn who God is and what God is like. And this is what God does with you and I. See, you and I are verses 6 through 8. Do you know that? Let me tell you this. You see, in verse 6, we see the redemption that we need. That you and I are in bondage to sin, slaves to sin. And if you think I'm wrong on the slaves to sin, never sin again. Never sin again, and then you could prove me wrong. We're slaves to sin. And you know what? We're hopeless and helpless to free ourselves from our sin and our bondage to sin. And you and I, we needed to see a deliverer like the nation of Israel did. And guess what? He came. Jesus came. Why? Well, how do you free a slave? You redeem them. You purchase them. You give the ransom so that they could be set free. And so that's what Jesus did. He came to redeem His people. The ransom He paid was His life. He died to set you free. And then in verse 7, God is going, well, now that you're free in Christ, by Christ, I'm going to do a work in you. And what that work is, is I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. The same thing he had to do with the nation of Israel. He goes, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. I'm going to transform you. And so what God does, what God is doing in your life is he is taking you he, through life and he is taking everything out of you. He's trying to transform you from the inside out to get you from being a person who worships the world, trusts the word world, follows the world, but your faith and your hope and your security and your identity and all the things of the world, he's trying to root that out of you so that you would become one of his people where your identity and your security and your purpose, your meaning, your faith, your trust, your belief, everything is found in God and God alone. He's doing the same work in your life that he had to do in the nation of Israel so that you would become his people where you didn't worship false gods, where you weren't filled with pride and idolatry and rebellion and a hard heart. He's trying to dig all of that out of you and me. Just like he did with Israel and Egypt. But for God to do that, he has to dig deep into your life and your heart. And it's not always fun and it's not always easy. Friends, God digs deep into you to root out all that through trials and difficulties, so that in those times, God will show you who He is so that you will come to know Him more and more, not just from a knowledge standpoint, but from a deep personal relationship with Him. Hardships and difficulties come. Why? Because God is trying to dig something out of your life and your heart that should not be there. And you sit back on, why is this happening? Why does this keep taking place? Why is this day and that day so hard? Why are the weeks so hard? Why are the months so hard? And God's going, I'm trying to dig out of you something you need to let go of so that I can finish making you into the image of my son. Because that's why. And if you can come to God and go, God, what is it that you're trying to dig out of me? you might actually speed up the process and just let go of it. And God goes, ha, huh, that was a lot easier, wasn't it? But then as God does this work in you, the day will come 
when God will bring you into the land that he promised to you, and he will give that to you, and that promised land for you and I in Christ is not Canaan, but it is what we called heaven. I told you this to remember this line for our study through Exodus, and that is this, that God has brought you out to bring you in. Told you that. Remember that. That God has brought you out to bring you in. Well, you see, the story of, the picture of Israel in the book of Exodus is the picture of your life. That Jesus, through His finished work on the cross, brings you out of sin, death, and God's wrath. And He brings you into a right relationship with God the Father so that He can transform you into the image of His Son, Jesus. And then one day, bring you into heaven, the promised land, with Him. It's the same thing that God does with the nation of Israel, that He does with you. That God brings you out of sin to bring you into His presence because like Israel, you too were, and perhaps are, separated from God and you need a deliverer and that person is Jesus. Friends, the encouragement is this. Yes, things in your life might right now may very well suck. Maybe they're absolutely wonderful right now and I pray that they are. But there's a good chance that the season will come down the road where things will suck and you'll go, why? I hear you. I've been there. But I want you to know this, that God has started a work in you and He will not stop that work until it is finished. Be patient. Walk with Jesus every day, even if it's a crawl. Seek Him like Moses did. Allow the Lord to dig out of your life that which should not be there and let go of that which is in your life that should not be there. What is the Lord trying to transform in you? If you can answer that, you might very well answer why the hardships and the difficulties are happening right now. Because God is transforming you so that you would become more like Jesus. Because that's what God wants to do. He wants to transform you. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your wisdom. Father, we thank you for your redemption that we have in Christ. Father, we thank you for the transforming work that you do within us to make us more like you, Jesus, and less like the world. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give each and every one of us a wisdom, a discernment, to see what it is that is in our life, that is in our heart, that we're holding on to, that Jesus, that you're trying to dig out. Help us to see that. Help us to let go of it. Help us to trust you enough to let go of it. And I pray that you would transform all of us to become more like you, Jesus, in a world that so desperately needs you. We give this to you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.